I just want to welcome you and say, let's get right into it. First, let's pray, though. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you truly for your love and your grace and your kindness. Thank you for the work of Christ on the cross. Thank you for rescuing us from sin and death. Thank you for uh, giving us your word as well, that you've made yourself known to us. You've revealed yourself to us and who you are. You haven't left us to wonder. And so as we open up uh, the book of Haggai together, we pray that you would teach us, that you would uh, speak to us by your spirit. Would you convict our hearts? Would you... uh, Open our eyes to see what we need to see this morning, Lord. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, friends. Well, welcome to FBC. My name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. And no, I don't normally start each sermon by blowing a whistle, but I'll explain that as we go. Okay, join me in the book of Haggai, would you? And just so you know, as you look for the book of Haggai in your Bible, you're going to need to use the table of contents to find it, okay? Uh, you, you ever been in a church service where pastor's like, hey, open up to the book of so-and-so, and you're like kind of fumbling with the pages, and someone next to you is like, Ba-da-da, and they find the book right away? Okay, that's not going to happen with Haggai. All right, we all need to use the table of contents. It's uh, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Seriously, the book, it probably only takes up one, maybe two pages on your Bible. Okay, so pretty hard to find. Um, If you can find the book of Haggai in under 10 seconds without using the table of contents, you are lying. (laughs) And if somehow it truly is possible then I owe you lunch. Please let me know after the service. Uh, And some of you are like, I just found it on my phone. I just used the app. Isn't that the way to do it? And if you did that, well done. However you need to get to Haggai, uh, join us there. We're shifting gears here for three weeks, okay? We've been preaching through the Gospel of John for several months, and now for three weeks, we're going to be in the book of Haggai, again, a minor prophet in the Old Testament, and uh, you'll see what that's about. But before we jump into the text, I do want to talk a little bit about the third quarter, this uh, fall church-wide all-in emphasis that we want to put in front of you that kicks off today. You're probably wondering, again, what's the whistle about? What's the headband, the, the whiteboard, the, the clipboard, the, the image, the sticker? You guys have seen it all, and again, you're probably wondering, what's it about? We'll get rid of that. Um, it's a metaphor from the world of sports, okay? If you know me, you know that I love sports. If you don't love sports, this might be a long few months for you, and I'm sorry. But I pray you'll stick with me, because I think there's some really important things we have to talk about. Uh, in the world of sports, adjustments are made entering the third quarter. Okay, halftime causes, what, a break in the action where coaches and players have an opportunity to evaluate what's gone on, what's gone well in the first half, what do we need to change, how are things going, what does our strategy need to look like ahead, right? Bad teams just go into the third quarter and say, we're not going to change anything. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Even if we're getting beat and things aren't going well, just stay the course. That's one of the reasons it's really hard to watch the Sacramento Kings. I'm a Sacramento Kings fan. And seriously, this past season, we were one of the worst teams in the league in the third quarter because our coaching staff didn't know what they were doing. And so we wouldn't make any changes at halftime. And the third quarter, we just get beat by the other team because their team would make adjustments. They knew what changes they need to make in order to be successful. So here's the parallel. As a church family, really as a society, as a world, we have just experienced a big break in the action, you could say. COVID, 
right? Life was disrupted. So many parts of our lives were put on pause for a good while. It was a strange, it's been a strange time. We felt isolated and disconnected, and it's been a really kind of challenging season for our church family. And so we're starting to think now, okay, as we're rebuilding on the other side of COVID, we're starting to rebuild, rebuild our lives, our communities, our church family starting to gain momentum, looking forward. What are things going to look like as we come out on the other side of COVID? And I know that we're not quite out of the woods yet. There's still challenges, but this is the closest to normal things have felt in a long time, right? And so we're starting to think, what do things need to look like as we enter our third quarter moment, you could say. After halftime, we had our break in the action. We're stepping into the future, rejoining the game and trying to think, about, okay, what sort of adjustments do we need to make as individuals and as a church family in order to be successful? How does our, our game plan, our, our strategy need to look different in the third quarter than it did previously in order to be successful? Now, in this metaphor, uh, Jesus, of course, is the head coach of the team, but he's left uh, some pastors and staff as assistant coaches, you could say, uh, to to help give some guidance here. And so we're going to talk about three key ideas throughout the course of the fall. We're going to talk about these regularly that'll give shape to what this fall emphasis is going to look like. And they're on the screen there, and then uh, sloppily written here. The fundamentals, okay, we're going to talk about fundamentals. We're going to talk about uh, preparation, and we're going to talk about game time, okay? So three, again, sports images, metaphors to help us make sense of this going forward. And we're going to unpack each of those over these three weeks. So if you're confused and you're like, I don't know exactly what that means, that's okay. We're going to fill it out as we go. But first, now I want to jump back into the text of Haggai and see how timely this book is for us as a church and as a society. Haggai is a short book. Again, it's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. It's taking place in about 520 B.C. Earlier that century, earlier in the 6th century B.C., a large, large, large event took place in the history of the people of God. And that's, they were taken into exile, right? The Babylonian Empire came in, conquered, and carted off Uh, a bunch of the people of God to live in a foreign land. And that's where we see the writings of so many of the prophets. Jeremiah, Ezekiel speaks to this. Um, The stories of Daniel, right? And King Nebuchadnezzar and the statue and the fiery furnace and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and um, the lion's den, right? The book of Daniel, that was uh, situated in exile. That was when the people of God were living in this uh, time of exile away from home in Babylon. But then uh, Babylon is conquered by the Persians. Cyrus the Great is the guy in charge. And in in the year 538 BC, he allows the people of God to leave exile, to leave Babylon. They can go home, basically. They're allowed to return to the land and rebuild the temple and kind of pick up their lives as they were before. And so Haggai picks up the story. The exiles have left Babylon. They're returning to the land, rebuilding their lives, rebuilding their community. And it's really their third quarter moment. They're resuming life after a significant disruption. But we'll see in the text, 
even after years in the land, things weren't going well. God had some words for his people about some things that they needed to straighten out. So let's see how the book begins in verse 1. We heard Ian read it before. Let's, let's look at it one more time together. It says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? So you notice right away there's this tension in the text, right? What do the people say in verse 2? They say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. See, when exile started and the Babylonians came in, they uh, conquered the temple, destroyed the temple. It was left in ruins. Now the people are back in the land, but they're like, it's not time yet to rebuild the temple. God's house is still in ruins, and they are content, it appears, to leave it that way. But you notice what God says in verse 3 and 4. He says, oh, that's interesting, because I notice you're spending a lot of time building your own houses. And you see what he says? Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? As I said, that's interesting. I notice that in your opinion, it's not time to rebuild my house. Definitely not. But it's time to rebuild your houses. You can even make them paneled houses. Make them kind of nice. Make them nice, fully completed and finished. I mean, your houses are good to go. But no, it's definitely not time to build my house. You see the, the irony there. God is, is really jabbing at them, saying you're, you're busy with your own house while really what you're doing is you're neglecting my house. God, will get around to you and your priorities, but right now we got uh, some things we got to straighten out. Chip and Joanna Gaines just released a new Back from Exile line at Target. We got to go stock up and do some home renovation projects, okay? And then, God, we'll talk about the temple, and notice how God responds. In his mercy, he points out, hey, what you're doing, it's, it's not really working, is it? Verse 5, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Wow, so you're busy working really hard. But you're not reaping much reward. You're still hungry. You're still thirsty. Probably pretty exhausted and weary. You have full days, but what do you have to show for it? So you're busy doing your thing, caring about your priorities. And he says, well, how, how's that working for you? It's important to point out here that this list of tragic circumstances uh, is not random not an accident. God told his people long before in Deuteronomy that there would be consequences if they broke the covenant. And a disaster would come their way in these specific ways, talking about their crops and about their finances and about their needs. And so God, God's reminding them, you've, you've broken the covenant by not rebuilding the temple, by, by ignoring their relationship with God. They've broken the covenant 
And that's why these consequences have come. That's why their lives look the way that they do. That's why they're so tired. That's why things aren't really working out very well for them. Now, maybe for us that seems like a little petty or odd. Like, why does God care so much about a building? Like, isn't church, isn't uh, walking with God about so much more than a building? Well, in the Old Testament, it's really hard to overstate the importance of the temple. I mean, the temple in the Old Testament for the Jews, I mean, that was where God's presence was, was seen to dwell most powerfully. That was just this, this visible representation of God's nearness to his people, that God was with them. It was a place of worship, a place of teaching, a place where, where God was glorified. And, and arguably, uh, the most traumatic event in their recent history is when they were conquered and the temple was destroyed. It was as if uh, God had left them. In their minds, they were like, if the temple's not here, we don't even know where God is. It was a huge deal for them. And so to, to come back to the land and abandon the temple, uh, neglect the temple, leave it in ruins, it was unthinkable. I mean, it just demonstrated uh, for, for them just a profound move away from God to not care about him or really his presence with them or, or his work in the world or what he wanted them to prioritize. And so God responds to the people, points all this out. Hey, you're building your own houses. You don't care about my house. It's not really working well for you, is it? Now, verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. We saw that phrase again. We're going to see it a few more in the next few weeks. Go up in the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. He's pointing out, really raising the question, whose house are you building? This is time. Go up. Go up into the mountains. You see, verse 8. Go get, get the wood. Chop down the trees. Bring the timber. Do whatever you got to do. Get the resources. Bring them back. It's, it's past time to build the temple again and realign your priorities. Now, I, I point this out. I think, I think if we're honest, we, we can relate a little bit with the people of God in the book of Haggai. We're, we're rebuilding after COVID. We're getting... getting Uh, active in all kinds of different areas of life, busy in different ways, rebuilding our lives after COVID. But but maybe for some of us wonder, well, where is Jesus been in the mix of that? Or is the Lord at the top of my priority list? Maybe you look back at the last year and a half, and hopefully, I I imagine if we're all honest, we all look back at the last year and a half and say, you know what? I would have done some things differently. You know, I think I maybe would have handled things a little bit differently. Wish I would have said some things I didn't say. Wish I would have not said some things that I, that I did say. You know, I think we're all going to look back years from now and say, yeah, I probably would have done things a little differently next time. So God really brings this invitation to the people. Doesn't leave them in despair, as we'll see, but he says, hey, hey now's the time. Let's reset priorities. Let's, let's get to work about the things of God and, and move forward together. See the result from verse 12 uh, to the end of the chapter, how the people respond. It says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai. 
because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. And then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So the people hear this. They're like, you're right. God, you're right. We're going to be about your business. And they get to work and they build the temple. But you see in the text, there's, there's a promise from God. You notice that in verse 13? God says to them, I am with you. It's this promise, the same promise that we hold dear today. That God's presence is with his people. So I'm not, I'm not calling you to just like get to work and, and earn my favor so that I might come back. See, I'm, I'm here. I'm with you. You're not doing this alone or in your own strength. Again, this is the same hope of the gospel that we cling to, right? Through faith in Christ. We're forgiven and cleansed and invited into the family of God. It's seated at the table of God in the household of God and enjoy his presence by his spirit in our hearts. And so whatever things he calls us to, no matter how difficult or challenging for us, he says, I'm, I'm with you. And he also promises, what, in verse 14, and notice how he acts, excuse me, what, what does he do in verse 14? He says he stirs up their spirits. Isn't that interesting language? In other words, God does something within them, within Zerubbabel, and within Joshua, and within, it says, the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. God stirs something within them to be about his work. And so he doesn't say, hey, I just want you, you know, in your own strength and your own motivation to figure it out. He says, I'm actually going to do something within you to enable you and empower you to walk in these ways that I've called you to. So God not only promises his presence with his people, but he, he promises to empower them, change their hearts, give them new desires so that they want to do the things that he's called them to do. And again, as we think about the, the promise of the new covenant, what Jesus has brought us, we're promised what? New hearts. A change within us. God's law written on our hearts that we learn more and more to actually want to do the good things that God has called us to do. So, we have to wonder, in light of this, what does this mean for us today? Because we don't have a temple to build, Right? <laughs> Jesus came as the fulfillment of the temple himself. And now we see in the New Testament that God's presence does not dwell in a building, but where? In his people. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God dwells within his people. And as the people of God, the church gathers, wherever we gather, God's presence is there. So we are the temple. So we don't have to, you know, this isn't like a sneaky way to get a new building project started. You know, we got a building to build. Let's, let's get to work. And we got some lumber up the street. We're going to go grab it. And here we go. And I'm calling you to help. That's not what this is about. So what is this fall about then? Again, it's about our priorities. It's about aligning our priorities with the Lord's. The Lord asked his people in Haggai chapter one, hey, whose house are you building? Putting a lot of effort into your own I want you to focus on mine. 
So today, I, I want you to focus on, on, on my priorities, on my kingdom, not your own little castle. His invitation to us today. Which gets to the first of our three words or ideas for this third quarter emphasis, okay? The, the fundamentals, the fundamentals, which is really about remembering the basics, right? Often a good coach doesn't necessarily need some new trick play or crazy game plan or teach the players something that they haven't heard before, but often what players need is simply a reminder of the basics, right? Like go out there and do what you know is good to do. Go run a good clean route. Go execute a good hard bounce pass. Some of those things you learn in the basics of your sport. Just stick to those and you'll do well. And that's what the people in Haggai forgot, right? At the end of the day, it's about, needs to be about worship, about seeking God and his presence in the temple. It, just, it was foundational for their life with him and they neglected it. And so God's not calling them to to anything surprising or flashy or or crazy, just simply uh, upholding what they knew already to be true. And so when we think about the fundamentals as a church family, again, not not necessarily meaning, you know, doctrines as much, although of course that's part of it, but thinking more about what are the rhythms, the practices, the habits that the people of God should engage in. What are the practices that the church throughout time has, has leaned on in order to grow in maturity and follow Jesus faithfully in their day? Well, the first uh, one that comes to mind would be corporate worship, right? Like gathering regularly for worship, to sing, to hear the word of God taught, to pray together as a church family. I mean, throughout time, that has been one of the basics, fundamentals that God has given his people to walk in. And so, uh, preaching to the choir here, right? You guys are all here. You're living it out. Good job. You're already doing it. Uh, yeah, woo, all right. Woo, all right, yeah. Thought there'd be a little more, woo, all right, but that's cool. Okay, yeah, you're doing it, right? So great, great. But we know, right, that, that through COVID, things were disrupted and difficult. And I know, again, we made the decision not to meet for a season and moved online only because of all the challenges. And so, you know, that, again, I get that there are, are challenges here at play. And maybe, again, we're not quite out of the woods yet with that. But the idea is that, that gathering for corporate worship has always been and will continue to be central to the life of the people of God. But what's difficult is... Surveys are showing that kind of after COVID, a lot of people uh, aren't coming back to church, right? There's a good chunk of people that just probably won't ever come back or maybe will come back a little bit. Or the people that do come back, come back uh, less frequently, okay? And this is like across the board in churches in the West. We're seeing that trend, that that gathering for corporate worship is less and less uh, practiced, you could say. And some people would say, hey, Cool, no worries. Like, we're in the digital age, and so we got social media and Facebook, and you can do things online now, and so what's, you know, what's, what's the big deal? Um, but I think if we, if we view it that way, you know, gather or not, or who really cares, then I think we're, we're embracing an impoverished view of what it means to be the church. And I get that there are good reasons, again, to, to, to join in online right now. Those of you joining us online, I, 
I get it. I know there are good reasons for that. There are also bad reasons for that, though, right, at times. And I'm not trying to say who's doing what or whatever. But the idea is that gathering for worship as we're able is, is really important for, for a few reasons. There's a few things I want to talk about. You could list a long, you can make a long list about why gathering for worship is important. There are a lot of things we could say about that. We could talk about, um, we could look to the New Testament and just see how the New Testament church practiced this, right? The letters of the New Testament were written to churches that gathered regularly. We saw that commitment upheld. Um, We could talk about just the sociological impact of, of needing community, right? Needing support, needing one another. How it's actually, it's good for us when we see one another and give hugs or high fives or elbows or realize that we're in this together or when we're uh, discouraged and heavy hearted to have people pray for us and come around us and, and support us. It's good for our kids, right, to see other people other than their parents that love Jesus and want to follow Jesus too. That's really good in terms of uh, formation for young people. We could talk about um, baptism and communion and how we, again, there's something that important takes place when we celebrate those ordinances that Jesus gave us. We could talk about the blessings of mediocre church coffee, okay, and say we really need to, again, it's, it's a, you guys are a, a cold group this morning. I'm just going to point that out. That was a good joke. That was a good joke, okay? Um, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter about it. Okay, you could talk about you could talk about um, the need to gather together around a common mission and pool resources, right? We can do more together than we can separate. And so let's pull off big, exciting things like Bethlehem and let's pool our finances to fund uh, missionaries and all kinds of cool projects like that, right? That sort of happens as we commit to gathering together. We, you could, so you could talk about all those things. Um, the need, again, to hear good biblical teaching and doctrine. All those things are true and good and right. But what I want to point to is something that's, that's connected to all of those things, but, but, but slightly different. And that's the idea that gathering for worship is, it's formative in our lives, okay? Gathering for worship is about more than just information. It's about formation. Okay, let me say that again. Gathering for worship is about more than just information. It's about formation. Meaning, we're not just here for content transfer, right? We're not just here uh, for, for biblical uh, ideas and doctrine to be transferred into our minds. Although, of course, that's very important uh, as a part of what we do. Biblical teaching and doctrine, those are good, necessary things for us to, to, to learn and, and grow in. But my point is that that's not all that this is. Because if that's all that this was about, you could just go get content Anywhere, right? It's the information age. And so you can go find the best Bible teachers in the world and go watch them on YouTube or listen to their podcasts or their sermons. And you wouldn't need me, right? There's better uh, preachers and more engaging speakers and better theologians out there, okay? And so if it was just about content transfer, we wouldn't, we wouldn't need all this. There'd be other ways, more, probably more efficient ways to do that. But, but church is not just about content transfer. It's not just about information. It's about formation, meaning something happens to us, to our souls, to our hearts, when we physically come here and do all the things that we're doing. It's shaping us into certain kinds of people with certain priorities and commitments. See, our, our, our habits, our, our rhythms in life, whether they're, you know, religious 
or secular, you could call it, like whatever our habits are, the things that we do often, again, shape us, sociologists know, into certain kinds of people. Our habits are not just things that we do, they do things to us. Sometimes subtly, sometimes quite dramatically. And so corporate worship is a place where we can come and our hearts are being formed and shaped and calibrated and pointing to uh, what is true. That's why we need worship, right? What's worship all about? It's about looking to Jesus, seeing the glory of God, having our hearts uh, look not just at ourselves and who we are or all of our circumstances, but to look up to the Lord. And as we do that, right, we remember who God is and what's true about our lives and about the world. And it it shapes us and it gives us hope and and confidence and rest. And so we, we need that. So corporate worship is a time where we come together and we're together pointed towards who God is. And so it's not just about some, some box to check or information transfer or a guilt trip, right? It's about who are we becoming? Are we becoming a kind of people who come and who, who prioritize Jesus? And with our time, it shows that. Or just think about taking communion together. When we come and we take communion, we're, we're physically doing something. We're, we're opening our hands. We're, we're taking the elements. We're ingesting them. That is, is communicating, reinforcing uh, our hearts about what is true, that we are a needy people. And we come to God to receive from him what he alone can give, the finished work of Christ on the cross for us. Or when we, when we give, Meaning when we give to the church financially or when we just give of our time and we serve, we realize that that life is about contribution, right? We we get out of our consumerist mindset and we say, I want to give back. I want to bless other people. And so as we we do that, we're learning those practices, right? Of of generosity, of serving others, of being others-focused. That happens when we live in community. So my point in this is simply that when... When we miss church, whether for short periods of time or for long periods of time, we're, we're missing more than we realize. And those decisions are actually shaping us into certain kinds of people, and we're actually losing a lot. And so, so the simple call with this fundamentals piece, the first part of it is, is to, to come and, and worship and be committed once again against so many parts of our lives, school and other things that are firing and all, and then all cylinders, most cylinders back in session. Let's make church one of those areas where we say, hey, we're going to be here. This matters to us. The second part of the fundamentals I want to point you to is uh, small groups. Right? We are not meant to live life alone. We're called to community. We're called to mutual fellowship and support and encouragement. And let's be honest, that happens a lot better in a small group often than it does on Sunday morning, right? On Sunday morning, sometimes it's hard to get, you know, sit down and get into in-depth, heart-to-heart conversations about needs and so on. It, it can happen, but a lot of times it happens best in a small group. And this is why our, our second core commitment is not just worship, but it's connect. And the picture is a couch, right? It's not a pew or a church chair. You know, it's a couch because where are couches? You're in your living rooms, right? So we, we get in our living rooms and we get around the kitchen table and we, we do life together. We study the Bible together. We pray for one another. We, we eat good dessert together and we laugh together. Like there, there's something formative about that, that practice. 
And many of you are already in small groups. And I love it. I just want to encourage you to continue doing it. If you're not in a small group, I want to encourage you to be a part of a small group and be there consistently. Right? Not just, again, about what you get, but how you are able then to contribute, to bless other people. And I'll just be honest, there, pastor confession here right now, there are a lot of weeks where I don't want to go to my small group. We, real talk right here. There are a lot of weeks where I'm just like, I don't want to go. Or I don't want to host it. Or I just want to stay home. Or I wish I had another night of, of Netflix or go to bed early or whatever. There are a lot of nights I don't want to go. But almost every time when I end up going and afterwards reflect on it, I'm so glad I went. Like, that's what I needed. I needed to be with those people. That was so good, so helpful. But then the next week, again, sometimes it's many weeks, like, ah, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. But it's so good for me. I need it. And there's so much joy in it. And so, I don't know, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe I'm alone. I don't know. But, but still, <laughs> that commitment, though, is, it's formative. We need one another. It's good for us to be in communion. So a special shout-out to the small group leaders in the house. You have worked so hard and done so much over the past 18 months. Our, our small group leaders have been just on the front lines, caring about people, trying, even if it's like online or on Zoom or ran, you know, random formats that they're just trying to bring people together in fellowship. So if you're in a small group, thank your small group leader today. And if you're not in a small group, we would love to have you join. On the seat backs in front of you, there should be uh, cards with a list of all these small groups that are launching this fall. And I don't know where mine is. But there is one on your seat back, and each small group has a number. And so if you're like looking at the groups, you're like, okay, it has the days listed and the times and uh, the type of group. You know, some of them are families and kids. Some of them are age and stage specific. Some of them, uh, there's some women's groups uh, only if you want that. So take a look. And if you're interested in joining a small group, you can put uh, the number of the group on your connection card and turn it in. And then uh, Pastor Lee, our, who's over our small groups, will follow up with you, help you get connected. If you have more questions, you can talk to Pastor Lee about that or send us an email, and we'd love to give you more information about those different groups. Okay, the other fundamental I want to I talk about, so we've talked about corporate worship. We've talked about small groups. I also want to talk to you about uh, just the practice of being in Scripture, reading the Bible, and prayer. Like regular, quiet time with the Lord. Quiet times were a big push in like late 90s, early 2000s. Quiet time in the evangelical world. And they're they're still a really important thing. I don't know, some of us may have cooled on those or drifted from them, but just daily time in Scripture and in prayer with the Lord. If you think about it, uh, we look to the scriptures and we see all over the place how we need to stay connected to God and in his word. Psalm 1 talks about bear, a tree that bears fruit and that's planted by streams of water bearing fruit in season. And what does that tree do? It meditates on God's word, on the law day and night. Or we look at John 15 and what does Jesus tell his followers? He said, you have to remain in me, stay connected to me. That's how you're going to bear fruit. You're not going to bear fruit in your life if you're not connected to me. So stay connected to me. And if you think about it, it makes no sense to to think that we could be connected to Jesus without spending time looking at the words of Jesus and what Jesus said and understanding who he is. 
Like, wouldn't it make zero sense if Jesus like, hey, I want you to follow me, and I want you to remain connected to me. And we were like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to do that, but I'm not really going to care about the things you said or the things you did. That wouldn't make a lot of sense. We also see Jesus modeling this, right? He gets away often to pray with his father. He's quoting scripture constantly. He knew his Bible well. And so the call is the same for us to to make scripture and prayer a a part of our daily lives. To find a time, a rhythm where we can, for most of us it happens really well in the morning before the day gets going. Take 10, 15 minutes. Read a short portion of scripture. Pray. See what comes up with the Lord. But here's Here's what I really want to make clear. It's possible with a message like this or with a um, topic like this, maybe some people are feeling guilty in the room. You're like, pastor's just getting mean and dropping the law down on us, and I don't like it. But what I want to point out is is what if, what if this invitation to, to daily Bible reading and prayer was not just some guilt trip, not just some uh, other burden, some spiritual hoop I want to make you jump through because I think it makes me or the church or whatever look good. What if, what if spending time with the Lord in his word and in prayer is the key to the life you've always wanted? What if, what if that was the key? What if spending time with the Lord in his word and in prayer was, was, was the gateway to the kind of joy and peace and hope you desire in your life. So many of us are just exhausted. We're exhausted. We're weary, not just from the last 18 months, but just in general, we leave, live such fast-paced lives and we wonder why we don't hear from God or why we feel disconnected from God because we never slow down to be with Him. So what if this is the key to the life we've always wanted? To slow down, to hear from the Lord, to let our minds and hearts be shaped by what he has said, to bring to him our, our needs, to sit with him in the quiet long enough to let our emotions come up and bring those to him and process them with him, to learn to hear God's voice above all the other voices in our life. And so if it sounds like a burden to you, like, I'm too busy, that sounds just like another thing to add. I mean, try and, again, reframe the perspective that maybe it's a gift. And it's not about adding something more to your plate. It's really about learning to do less, right? To just slow down enough and open your Bible and be with, with God. So I want to invite you this fall to, to do that with us, and, and here's a, a way that that can look, what I hope it'll look like. Um, we're having a church-wide Bible reading plan this fall through the New Testament. Now, here's the deal. Back in January, anybody remember the church-wide Bible reading plan we started in January through the whole Bible this year? Yeah? Okay, so this is that same reading plan. So if you're on that reading plan and you're doing it, great. Just keep on doing it. But here's the deal. On September 2nd, uh, that reading plan begins the New Testament. Okay, there's like a couple chapters a day and a little place to share thoughts. On September 2nd, we're starting the New Testament on that reading plan. And so, if you didn't join us in January, 
Or if you joined us and then got behind. Anyone got behind? I got behind in a few stretches. Okay, yep. So, right. If you joined and then got behind and then gave up because you're like, I'm like, I got halfway through Leviticus and I couldn't do it anymore and I don't know where I am, right? Uh, Don't worry. Don't give up. Or if you did give up, hey, here's a chance to just jump back in. Don't worry about catching up with the whole, you know, all, all the rest. Just join us where we are now and read through the New Testament in full this fall. So we're going to be sending out a link to uh, the Bible app. There's like a group plan that we're on where you, uh, as long as you have the Bible app on your phone, which most of us do, if you don't, come talk to us. We'll show you how to get it. It's really easy. It's free. It's a great tool. And then we're going to read through the New Testament together uh, this fall, starting on September 2nd. Okay, so if you're already on the plan, don't worry about it. If you're not on the plan, check your email or go to the church Facebook page, or on the church website. Okay, we're going to be sending out this link like everywhere we can so that you can easily click it and join it. Uh, If you don't have a phone or the internet, we do have some hard copies of the plan with it printed out on, mapped out. So talk to us about that. Sound good? Okay, last thing before we transition to closing out our service. Um, The second word here, so not just fundamentals, church and reading the Bible and community. Um, The second word, prepare, we're going to talk about in full next week, okay? So you get the full breakdown next week. But part of this is going to be uh, resources we want to give out during the course of the fall. So every month there's going to be a list of recommended resources, some articles, some podcasts, some things that you, we just basically want to encourage you to grow in your walk with Christ beyond Sunday morning by engaging in really helpful content and resources, things to get you thinking about what uh, following Jesus looks like in a number of different areas. And so, uh, for the month of September, uh, the book that we're encouraging everyone to read is called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland about the heart of Christ and who Jesus is. Let me say, I've read it. It's fantastic. I read basically like one chapter a day. It's kind of like, they're pretty short chapters as a devotional. So helpful. It just points us to Jesus. Just highly recommend it. So we have a free copy of the book for everybody today. Now here's the deal. Some people were leaving first service and they didn't have their free book. And I was like, guys, it's a free book. Even if you don't even think you're going to read it, take the book. It's a free book. Okay, so please, if I see anyone without a book, I am going to tell Steve Fretwell to drive to your house and deliver the book. Okay, so you want to just, please take the book. Uh, if you're not going to, if you already have a copy of the book, give it to someone. Um, you know, just, just take the book. And uh, we're going to be talking about that more next week. But again, the plan is to read through that book as a church in September. At the end of the month, we're going to have like a little uh, get together, kind of talk through some of the principles in it. So you got it early. It's, only, it's still August, but grab the book. There's also a journal there for you with a third quarter sticker so you can remember uh, the theme for the fall. Use that journal as you're reading the Bible, as you're reading... Uh, through that book, write notes and prayers. Use it in your quiet time. It's always good to have another journal. So uh, for every person, a book and a journal, or Steve Fretwell comes to your house. Everybody, this is our third quarter moment, okay? Uh, So I can't wait to get into the rest of these things with you. We're jumping in and excited about what God has for us this fall. Okay, would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you uh, for your love and for your word. And we want to be, we want to be people like those in Haggai chapter 1 at the end of the chapter, who hear your voice and who respond and say, Lord, we want to be about your business. And we, we've, we spend plenty of time and have spent plenty of time focusing uh, on ourselves or our own business. And Lord, we, we just want to make you the center. And we want to um, recommit to that, Lord. 
So would you have your way in us this fall? Help us commit to the fundamentals. Worship, small group, being in the word daily. Would you guide us in all this uh, for our good and for your glory? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.